Okay. Well, do you want to have a look at this then? So this is a poll that was conducted of the five least trusted areas of jobs. And you might be interested to know that slightly more people trust their hairdresser to tell them the truth than they would a minister of the church. So there you go. We live in a world where companies, organizations, governments, you name it, they all make promises that they don't always keep. So nothing new there, hey? But if we bring it a little bit closer to home, we might say that parents and children and friends and maybe even sometimes we say things that we don't always mean, make promises that we don't keep. I say, I'll take care of that, and sometimes I don't. I say, uh, I'll remember that, and sometimes I forget. I say, I'll always, and sometimes I fall short. I say, it's in the post. Well, nobody believes that one, do they? Not really. It's no wonder we live in an age of skepticism and cynicism about promises that are made to us because talk is cheap and when people actually do do what they say we we remark on it don't we we say oh there's a man of his word there's a woman of integrity it's worth commenting on because it's not the norm so let me introduce you if you haven't already met him to God maybe the first time maybe you've met him many times You see, he's a bit different. In fact, he's a lot different. In fact, let me introduce you in his own words, written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. That's what we think of them. This is how God introduces himself. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and the snow come down from heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It's the same with my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere that I send it. God is different. God introduces himself as someone who is actually nothing like us. Now if that comes as a surprise to you this morning, uh, that's probably because we easily get the wrong end of the stick with God, don't we? We can end up looking the wrong way around through the telescope as we think of God. You see, God is not made in our image. We are made in God's image. Modern theologian Tim Keller puts it so well in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He describes our hearts as idle factories. Now, we may not be churning out totem poles or bowing down to statues, But our hearts so easily create things that we worship, things that we run after. And like the Israelites right through the Old Testament, we tend to think that God is a bit like us. 
maybe sort of us large, us with an extra portion. But I've got to tell you, that's like hearing a child I once heard say that his mum and dad were a little bit like him in some ways. And I thought, there's something wrong with that. I mean, I think the chip comes off the block. The block doesn't come off the chip, does it? We are not a bit like, oh sorry, God is not a bit like us. We are a bit like God. That's a glorious, glorious but sobering truth. We are made in God's image. And yes, through our own choices, through the choices of others, through the brokenness of the world we live in, those things have left their mark too. But however broken and messed up we are, we still carry something of the maker's mark, the image of God in us. We are of great value to him. We are precious to him. And whenever we look at anyone, we should be able to see that if we look with God's eyes and God's heart. But our Father God is not like us. And I say, thank God he's not like us. I promise you, you wouldn't want God to be like me. And I know some of you. (laughs) And I've got to say, I'm glad that God is God. We must not let our familiarity with God confuse us. Yes, he is our father. He is our Abba, our daddy. He is. And yes, as Christians, we're, we're a bit like him and we're growing to be more like him every day as we walk in the spirit. But he's not like us. We've got to get our telescope the right way round. His thoughts, God says, are nothing like ours. They're not a bit better. They're nothing like them. His ways are not just difficult for us to stand to understand. They're beyond our imagining. Wow. That's the gap. I don't know how to explain it because I can't comprehend it. To me, it's like, imagine an ant coming home on the stage and I want to explain myself to this ant. Tricky. I think that's quite difficult. Even that, I don't think, tells us anything about the gap in one sense that there is between us and God. He does things we wouldn't and he does things we couldn't. In the verses just before, the ones I read to you there, God makes an amazing invitation to his enemies. We heard about it this morning. Steve read it. To those who were spitting in his face, rebelling against him, God says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's what it means to become a Christian. What it means is we turn away from our ways and we turn away from our thoughts. We leave that behind and we turn to God and we receive the free gift of compassion and mercy. That's what Ben and Amelia were talking about here and Josephine too. That's what they were demonstrating as they followed Jesus in baptism, turning away from the way they think to the way God thinks, turning away from their ways to God's ways, finding in him mercy and compassion. This is the God who is so other, so different, and yet became like us and walked among us to make himself known to us so that he could reconnect with us. This is the same God who loves us and is for us and wants to know him as a father 
It's mind-boggling, isn't it? If you're struggling with this this morning, can I say welcome to the club? Welcome to the club. It's mind-boggling. Holding those things together. And that's only two of the things about God. What about the rest? This is our God. Our response is what we've been doing this morning. We worship. We worship. We're amazed. But what it means is that when we come to God, when we consider what God says to us, we need to come with a different mindset. We need to change our minds. When we come to God, we need to put aside our worldly mindset, our suspicion, our cynicism, our doubt, our sounds-too-good-to-be-true filters, which we all have. We need to humble ourselves. We need to turn around. The Bible calls it repent. We need to acknowledge that what we think, what we think, even what we fervently think, is not right if it disagrees with what God thinks. Not only is God fundamentally different to us, there's something fundamentally different about the way he speaks. You see, God doesn't say things he doesn't mean. Now, prepare for a shock. Sometimes I do. God doesn't make promises he can't keep. Sometimes I do. I don't mean to. Sometimes I say I'll do something and work out after. I can't do that. There is no changeability with God. No shadow caused by him turning. No deceit, no lack of clarity. His words are loaded. They're pregnant, waiting to explode. Filled with power. Hebrews tells us the word of God, it's alive and powerful. This is, God's God's not into idle chit-chat. He's not just speaking into the air. His words are purposeful. God doesn't miscommunicate. Sometimes I struggle. He never does. When God speaks, it's creative. Things happen. Now, when I try and make something happen, it usually involves a lot of thought, some planning, a lot of huffing and puffing, maybe a gathering together of equipment or tools or materials, and and, and it's a a great big effort. But in Genesis, we read that God, God carried out the most creative act that we've ever seen, and all he did was he spoke. We read it in Genesis, and God said, and God said, And God said, and you know what? After every time he said, what do you get? And there was, and there was, and there was. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Simple, unstoppable, inevitable. When God says it, it will happen. Done deal. We can have confidence. And to help us, as we read in that passage, God gives us a little picture that help us to try and get hold of this based on things that we know, like how this world works. We can learn a lot from God's creation, you know. I was out walking recently, and uh, it was a few weeks ago, just as the season was starting to turn, and it just really struck me as I looked around and walked. I felt God say to me, look at the season turning. I was praying about God moving. I wanted God to move more. And I felt God said to me, the season is changing. It's coming. It's unstoppable. (laughs) 
you know, I, but what if you don't like winter? Tough luck, it's coming. <laughs> well, it's late this year, don't worry, it's coming. Well, I'd rather, do, well, don't worry about that, it's coming. I tell you, it's unstoppable. And God, his word is like that. God says it's like the rain and the snow coming down. They water the earth. It brings life. It provides abundance. Not just for food, but for sowing. There's enough for you and there's enough for someone else in what God says. When God speaks, it's just the same. Always inevitable, always fruitful, always doing what he intended. Have you ever done something you didn't mean to do? <laughs> Usually on a computer, I think, actually. Oh, didn't mean to do that. No, no, don't. No. God never does something he didn't intend to do. Whatever he says comes to pass. It's complete. It prospers wherever. Did you notice that? Wherever he sends it, wherever it goes. There's no out of God's jurisdiction. His word happens wherever he sends it. It does whatever he says. Will it happen when we think it will? Well, here's a clue. We have a wonderful God who is not like us, who for a a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. Now, what do you think about timing? Are we on the same planet? God does things in his time and his time is not our time. But these are things that we need to meditate on, friends. This is our God. This is our amazing God. And the fact that God is different and the fact that what he says is different gives us the possibility of something amazing which we've already heard this morning. And that's this. We can be different. We can be different. God's word impacts our lives and changes lives. We heard it this morning. God speaks and changes people, changes lives. But for that to happen, we need to take hold of his promises. The Bible calls them great and precious promises. Isn't that a lovely phrase? God's promises are great and precious. Are they great and precious to you? Are they something that you, you enjoy? You, 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 you love them. They're precious to you. Agreeing with God enables us to take hold of his promises. Look at, uh, look at this verse from 1 Corinthians. I've put three different versions of it. Have a read of those. They're saying the same thing in slightly different ways. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Isn't that amazing? God has made great and precious promises. Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Nice to know. Nice to know God's made great and precious promises. Better still, all of God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. Well, that's beginning to sound even better. But the best is yet to come. Through Jesus, we are included in him. And we are included in these promises. And through Jesus, we say, Amen. We say, I agree. We say, Yes, Lord, let it be like you say. And that gives glory to God. 
Amen? Well, I don't know about you, I could do with some more glory. I could do with seeing some more glory. Couldn't you? More glory in my life, in the church, in the world. I want to encourage you this morning to say the amen. And I don't mean just to shout out, but you could if you wanted to. I know this is Winchester. But I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about getting hold of this key that's through Jesus we inherit the promises. See, Hebrews tell us that he who has promised is faithful. He who has promised is faithful. It's about a relationship. It isn't about learning Bible verses. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Learning Bible verses is great, but they're not Harry Potter spells. They don't work just because you say them. They work because of the person who's behind them. It's him. It's relationship with him. Put your trust in the promise maker, not just in the promise, because he's as good as his word. Don't ever separate the promise from the promise giver. Promises are only worth the person who's backing them up. Oh, I've left my wallet down there. Have you seen the new £10 note? Have you seen the new £10 note? It's gone plastic. If you haven't seen one, perhaps if you're not as well off, the fiver's already there. But the £10 note's gone plastic. If you actually look at a £10 note, just pretend I've got one, it's actually not worth very much, is it? It's a little bit of plastic. You see, the value is not in the note. The value is in the promise behind it. A £10 note is a promise from the Bank of England. The note's worth nothing. The Bank of England, well, at least I hope, is worth a little bit more. Don't just focus on the promise. Do you not understand how money works? I think it's a bit weird. You ever heard somebody talk about money? Yeah, well, don't worry about how it works. Just trust the Bank of England. Seems to be going okay. You don't understand how God's promise works? Don't worry about it. Trust in the promise giver. You don't understand how it's going to happen? Don't worry about it. Put your trust in the promise giver. You don't understand and can't imagine it happening? Lift your eyes to the promise maker. He's the one that will make it happen. Take hold of the promise and lift your eyes to the promise maker. How can we do that? I've just got three quick things of how we might be able to do more of taking hold of the promises of God. How do we say the amen? How do we say yes, God? Well, firstly, I would say bringing our worldview, how we see things, into line with his worldview. If you've been around Christian circles for a long time, you'll have heard this verse from the Old Testament. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a funny thing to say, isn't it, really? How do the waters cover the sea? Well, quite impressively, I would say. God is saying that there is coming a day when the knowledge of his glory is going to fill everything. That's a promise. It's going to happen. Because he who promised is faithful. In Revelation, God says, look, I'm making everything new. Did you know that? God's going to make everything new. God's going to right every wrong. God's going to sort everything out. He's going to pay back people for what they should have done. 
if they're not in Jesus. God is going to sort everything out. He's going to create a new world, a new heaven, and a new everything. God's going to do that. Why? Because he's promised and because he's faithful. What should that do? Well, actually, I think that should change the way we look at the world. That should change our outlook on life, shouldn't it? You know, when we were praying uh, one of these nights about the wells of revival, that's what we were doing. We were saying, God, you've promised to do this, and you're faithful. So come on, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Spread your glory about. That's how we take hold of it. That's how we say the amen. When we're discouraged or overwhelmed, and that can happen as we look at what's going on around us, we can take this promise and we can lift our eyes to the promise giver and we can say, God, your will be done because we know what your will is. We may grieve over what is happening in our world, but we shouldn't despair, folks. We shouldn't despair. Be encouraged. We're on the winning team. We have a God who is faithful and keeps his promises. How else can we say the amen? By bringing our church view into line with God's view. Here's a couple of things Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Ephesians, it said, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Ever despaired of the church? I have. Spent a long time outside of it because I despaired so much. But actually, we need to get hold of what God sees when he looks at the church. We need to remind ourselves the gospel is going to go to all nations. People are going to come to faith. The church is going to be built. Nothing, nothing will stop him building his church. So when we feel the church is unlovely, Perhaps we should remind ourselves of how Jesus sees the church. Spotless bride that he gave himself for her. And we pray, Lord, bring it about. Bring it about. We can ask God for help to see the church the way he sees it. Remember? Not my thoughts. His thoughts. A church without spot or blemish. Well, you're not standing where I'm standing. But I tell you something. (laughs) No, I won't say that. Have a think on this. If you read your New Testament, what you'll find described there doesn't appear to me to be a church without any spots or blemish. Most of Paul's letters were written because they had dodgy theology and they were up to dodgy activities. And Paul was writing to say, don't you know who you are? You're the church of the living God. They may have had dodgy theology. They may have done dodgy stuff. I tell you this, they changed the world. They changed the world. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So don't despair. God can use even us to form a church that is spotless and without blemish and to change the world. Be encouraged. Humble ourselves. Say, God, it's your church. You build it. You do it. Thank you for it. We can't do it. Finally, 
bringing our, we can say the amen by bringing our view of ourselves into line with God's view of ourselves. You've heard all this before, but let me say it again because it's worth saying. God says lots about us. He said he chose us before the foundation of the earth. He said he loves us with an everlasting love. He said he's never going to leave us or dump us. He said he's going to write his laws on our hearts. He's going to give us his spirit. And long before the days of mastermind, he said, I've started so I'll finish what I'm doing in you. And those of you under a certain age, ask somebody who looks older what that means. God has said, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't despair. He's going to do it. He's told us not to be afraid because he's for us. He's told us not to be anxious because he cares about us. He's told us to run after him because we have all, he has all we need. He's told us that we're going to bear much fruit. Many of us have individual prophetic promises over our lives as well as biblical promises. You know, all these promises are worth fighting for. Because they don't come for free. They don't come without a battle. It is a battle. It doesn't just happen. Fear is a thief. Anxiety is a robber. They can cripple us, disable us, limit us, take us out. They sap our faith. They sabotage our hope. They prevent us from connecting with the truth and the power of what God says. Fear is one of the enemy's greatest weapons. Have you noticed the epidemic of fear we've got in our society? How can you not help but notice the youngsters with mental health issues growing and nobody asks why? They all ask what should we do. They all say we should spend more money. Nobody says why. Why is this happening? We need God. We need God. We need his truth. Fear is one of the enemy's greatest weapons, but God wants us to live in joy and peace and hope. In fact, we're commanded not to worry. We're told not to be anxious and not to fear time and time again because we need to hear it, don't we? I need to hear it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Last Sunday, Steve spoke about holding on to hope in the face of difficulty. And as we were gathered to pray this Wednesday, we were praying about digging out wells of hopes and dreams. You know, when our soul needs hope, we need to feed it. And we need to feed it with the promises of God. It's the promises of God that give us hope. I haven't got any hope in any government. I haven't got any hope in any institution or any organization. My hope is in God. I want to feed my soul with his promises. We need to eat his promises. His promises have to do with our future. If our future is promising and hopeful, our souls will be hopeful. If you like, we digest them. And they produce hope. Remember Jesus saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. Our souls are designed to be nourished by God's great and precious promises. The God of hope wants us to feast on his promises, be filled with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. That's in Romans. So I say, let's not accept living with things that God doesn't want us to live with. Let's declare war on fear. Let's declare war on anxiety and sickness. Let's treat them as enemies. Let's fight. Sure, let's accept one another as Christ has accepted us. 
Yeah, accept one another with our weaknesses. But let's not accept the way things are. Let's help each other grow. As I wrestle with my fears and doubts, and I do, just like you, the one thing I am grateful for is to have people alongside me, like Steve, like Jim, like Rob and John, who don't just sympathize with me. Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for that. (laughs) But they actually direct me to God. They actually stand alongside me and they push me towards God. They point me towards God. I want people who will do that, don't you? I want to be a person who will do that. I don't want to just feel sorry for you. I want to help you to overcome. I want people to remind me that God really is as good as his word. And that's why we should be talking about his word all the time. The book of the law shouldn't depart from your mouth. Why? Because actually our words do have power. They're not quite like God's, but when we speak his words, we get some of his power coming through them. So I say to you this morning, let faith rise for the world, for our future. Let faith rise for the church and the spread of the gospel. Let's be more expectant of God to fulfill his promises. And let faith rise for what God has promised you. What's he promised you? What will you say the amen to today? It's your choice. You can do it. I'd like to close just and play you a a song. It's a worship song that catches up something of what I've been talking about. Just just hang on a second. Just as we sit, I I just want to invite you to, let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now just to move in this place, just to touch hearts, touch our hearts, Lord. Lord, of all the things I've said, will you just bring home to each one of us something you want to say, Lord, something you want, maybe a promise, Lord, maybe a, something you've said to us in the past. If you're not a Christian here this morning, let me tell you, God meant that invitation. He doesn't say what he doesn't mean. God says, if, if you want to leave your thinking and your ways and turn to me, I've got mercy and compassion for you and great and precious promises. You don't need to miss out on these. This is just for Christians, but anyone can be a Christian. You can do that now. You can turn to God. Just say in your heart. Maybe you heard this morning you're disillusioned with church. I would say don't look at the warts and the blemishes. Focus on the grace of God. God doesn't want you to live in fear and anxiety. God wants us to move in increasing freedom. Sure, it doesn't always happen in a moment. But actually, there are moments where we make a choice and we make a stand. And this could be a moment for you right now. Don't separate the promise from the promise giver. He is faithful. 
He is faithful and he will do it. Lord Jesus, I just invite you by your spirit now as we sit and listen to this song, Spirit, come and help us in our hearts. Lord, we want this to be a moment for us, Lord. We want to take hold of your promises. Maybe make a change. Maybe turn to you. Maybe whatever, Lord. But we want to put aside our thinking and we want to put aside our ways and we want to turn to you, Father God. And we want to receive from you this morning compassion and mercy and all of your great and precious promises. Do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Just allow the Spirit to speak to you as we listen to this song.